Hi, and welcome to Northampton Bible Church's podcast. We are glad that you're here today. If you'd like to learn more about Northampton Bible Church, you can check us out at nbchurchcf.org. You can also interact with us on social media at nbchurchcf. And now, here's today's message. I did want to say, I, you know, just sitting there and just, as some of you probably heard this morning, has been chaotic. Uh, things just not working the way that they should. And if anybody noticed, like the words on the screen look a little funny. And it's just been one of those mornings. But something that I think is really cool that uh, even as service was going on and there's people coming up to fix different things is getting to watch people, people serve in, in different ways. People that that you've gotten to watch God grow different people as, as he stretched their faith and they serve in different ways, all for the purpose of loving God, loving people, and making disciples. And that's really cool to me. That has nothing to do with really what we're going to talk about here in a second, but that's just something cool to me. And, uh, yeah, something to think about. But anyways, uh, we're at John chapter 8. If you want to go to John chapter 8, that's where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, I had my own kind of, i got to move this over just a little bit. I have my own kind of poll question to ask. That if you were going to take a long trip somewhere like California, Florida, Colorado, uh, something like that, would you fly or would you drive? So if you would, how many would you fly? I feel like this is probably most people. Who are the adventurous people in the room that says, I would 100% drive? Okay, that's me. Totally me. That's changed a little bit since we've had a kid. I would definitely fly now. But, uh, but before we had uh, Claire, it would have always been, we're going to drive. And even as a kid, uh, my family, that's where my family was. I didn't actually fly until uh, I was married and all of that. Like, we flew somewhere, and I thought it was the coolest experience ever. A little scary. But we always drove. Like, if we were going to go take a trip, we were going to drive. And I remember uh, I was 16 years old, and uh, my parents decided we were going to take a trip to Florida. And I had never been to Florida in my life. I had never been out of the Midwest. I think the farthest away that I had gone was, like, West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, Michigan, like that. I grew up here 16 years and I never went any further than that. And I was 16 years old. My parents said, we're going to take a trip to Florida. We're going to see family down there that I haven't seen in a really long time. And I was really excited because I'd never been to Florida. It's also the middle of winter, which is when you should go to Florida. My wife and I went to Florida in July and I discovered why you should never go to Florida in July. It's too hot for me. So we decided we're going to go to Florida, and uh, I was excited. My parents, we rented a van, which was also something that we never did. Uh, We rented a brand new van. It had 50 miles on it, and being the kind of person that I was as a teenager, I loved cars. I still love cars, and I was like, man, it's a brand new van. I just got my license, and we're going to take this trip all the way to Florida. I'm thinking, this is the greatest thing ever, and maybe I'll get a chance to drive this van. It's a minivan. I look back now, I'm like, it's a minivan. But in in my 16-year-old brain, I thought it was going to be something really cool. And uh, 
my parents also, we always drove through the night. Like, that was another thing. We always drove, like, we're going to take a trip. We're going to leave after dinner. And we're going to drive until we get there. And we are not going to stop. Like, that was just how we took trips. And it, it may have had to do because there's four kids. And if you want peace and quiet on a trip, you got to take it through the night. That probably had something to do with it. But, uh, so we take this trip. We load up after dinner. We go. And, uh... I'm waiting for this opportunity that I want to drive the van. And I'm begging my dad to let me drive the van because I got my license. I'm like, this is going to be great. Looking back, you're probably not allowed to drive a rental van at 16. But uh, it was like 3 in the morning, and we were at a gas station. Everybody's asleep except for me. And I begged my dad, Dad, let me drive. He says, okay, you can drive. I remember like being filled with all of this excitement, like Christmas Day, I get to drive this new minivan. And uh, so I start driving, and I love to drive. Even to this day, I'm starting to lose the love to drive to this day, but back then, I loved to drive. Like, it was the coolest thing ever. And uh, so I start driving. And I end up driving the rest of the trip to Florida, like another five hours or whatever it was. And I remember driving through the night, and we're seeing the signs. We're going through Georgia and uh, South Carolina, Georgia, kind of down in that stretch. It's probably 5, 5.30 in the morning. We cross into Florida, and I see all the signs and everything else. And even though this is like a new van, it's got cool white headlights, which we had never had a car with like cooler, newer white headlights. They're always like the old, you can't really see much. And I'm driving with the brights on, and we're driving down this highway that's divided, and it, you can't really see much. And we're thinking, man, I'm in Florida, and but nothing really looks any different. I'm just dri I'm driving. It looks the same when I'm driving Ohio or in West Virginia. Well, it's a little straighter than West Virginia, but it looks very similar. It looks very similar to this. You can't really tell. Even though I've got these headlights, I can't tell. And I remember as the, as the sun it starts to come up. And I'm in Florida. This is the coolest experience ever for me at 16 years old. One of the coolest. Uh, the sun starts to come up. And it was like a whole new world. If anybody has never been to Florida, or maybe you remember the first time you ever went to Florida or went to California or somewhere crazy different, Colorado, and you see the mountains, for the first time, uh, you realize how different other places in America are. As the sun came up and I see palm trees, I see weird animals on the sides of the road, I see weird farmland. It's not corn and it's not soybeans. I don't know what it is. I don't know what else you farm coming from Ohio. Uh, and I see all of these different things. I see sunshine and no clouds and it's warm. And it's like I woke up in a different world. But the reality is, is for the past like two hours, I had been driving through this world and I didn't see it. And even though I had headlights and I had all this stuff on this new car, I didn't see it. Because until the sun came up and it lit everything to where I could see everything all at one time in a different way, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And what else was interesting is even on the way back, because we drove back through the night too, and I drove back. Um, it was darker driving back through that same stretch, but, but I knew what it looked like. Even though it was darker, I could see the outlines of the palm trees, and I knew that it was different. And I didn't see that before because I had never seen it before, if that makes sense. And what does all this have to do with John chapter 8? John chapter 8. Now we get back. We get back. Uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus is here, and he makes uh, a statement 
And I'm going to call it a stained glass statement. And I say that because I feel like it's a statement that we hear often, that we have said often, that gets put on a lot of stuff. Uh, wall art, coffee cups, bumper stickers. This is the statement that you hear often. But it's a stained glass statement because I think we don't place as much value and understanding on it as I think that we should. In verse number 12 of chapter 8, he says, he says this. It says, And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We think... That is awesome. That is great. Fantastic. Let's put that on a wall. Let's put that on a bumper sticker. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then you sit down and, you know, part of me, I was thinking this week, um, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to talk about how he's the light of the world. This is a great verse. So, so easy. This is going to be good. And then you sit down and you think, what does that, what does that mean? Jesus is the light of the world. What is that? What weight does that carry? Jesus is the light of the world. But what, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What, why is Jesus saying this? Because a lot of times we say things and we, we don't think about all of the meaning behind it. It's almost like this. It's almost like I would ask, well, what's electricity? You think, oh, it's the thing in the wall. Like you, it's, there's a wall outlet and you plug stuff in and it, it runs like your toaster and your fridge and the blender. That's electricity. Well, what, what, is, what is electricity? Well, you know, it's kind of like some, some wires and this stuff travels and it makes stuff work. What is it? It's, see, it's not, it's not always as easy as we think that it is. Like we say, oh yeah, I know Jesus is the light of the world. Yeah, but what does that mean? And that... That's what I'm hoping to talk about some this morning. And thankfully, God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that we would have to understand this. So throughout the Bible, actually weaved all throughout the Bible, weaved, especially John, weaved throughout the Gospel of John, is this idea of this, this coming light and this, this light and what, what it offers and all of that. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We are going to dive into, man, what does this really talk about? What does this really mean for me? And that's where we're going to go. But before we even get to John, we've got to, we've got to back up a little bit. Uh, as we rewind backwards, you go to John chapter 1. But before we even get to John chapter 1, we have to move back a little bit further. To a prophet in the Old Testament named Isaiah. And Isaiah ultimately prophesies and tells about this, this coming person, this coming light. And he says in Isaiah 42, uh, did I put them all up there? I think I did, maybe. Um, I also have way more slides than I normally do this morning. That's like a whole other side of my brain that I'm trying to remember. I have all these slides. I'm usually a pretty one-track. Jeff is laughing back there because Jeff knows me to know me well enough that I'm a very one-track mind person. Uh, but in Isaiah 42, in verse 5, it says, it says, Thus saith God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth uh, and what comes from it, who gives breath to people on it, and the Spirit... To those who walk on it. So, so he says, God, the same God that created everything and that does everything. He says this. He says in verse 6, he says, I am the Lord. 
And I've called you into righteousness. He says, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as long, I will give you as a covenant or this promise for the people as a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. And to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. So as Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God and says, God says this, he says that there's this promise and that there's this covenant and it's going to be a light for the nations and it's ultimately going to open the eyes of people that are blind and it's going to bring out prisoners from dungeons and it's ultimately going to bring out these people who sit in darkness. And you can continue to go back through the Old Testament and you can see things like this, of this coming light and this, this coming thing that is going to rescue people. You see, for us to fully understand, as you go back to chapter 8, and for us to fully understand why this was so important that, that Jesus is saying this in chapter 8, in this feast, at this time, to these people, for us to understand this, we have to be able to look back through the lens of the Bible to understand what was talked about for the last 2,000 years. And this is what Isaiah says. Isaiah says this. This is something that's going to happen, but it's not just Isaiah. If we continue on and we move forward through the story and we go to the book of John in chapter 1, the very beginning when John starts to, starts to write this gospel, telling the story of the gospel and the story of Jesus, he talks a lot about light. He talks a lot about light. And he says, uh, I'm going to start reading in the beginning, and then we're eventually going to get to verses 4 and 5 and talk about those for a second. But he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning uh, with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I just realized some of you might not be able to see. In him, talking about this, this person that's coming, that's in the beginning, that through him everything was created, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness... And the darkness has not overcome it. It carries this idea that darkness has not and will not and cannot overcome light. I think this is a concept that we can understand that we'll even talk about here in a minute. That the darkness is just the absence of light. And that when you have light, darkness cannot exist. It's a, it's a battle and it's a war that is impossible for darkness to win. If we continue on through this... John continues to talk, even in verse number 6, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Different John, but there's another John. Whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So then we have this guy that, that John begins to talk about, whose name is also John. He says, God sends this other guy named John, and he's not the light, but he comes to ultimately talk about and to bear witness of this light that is going to come, that is going to be the life of all men. It's going to be the light of men uh, that shines in the darkness, that's ultimately going to win this battle that cannot be lost by him, uh, if, I'm, if I'm making sense. This is all getting to a point, I promise. It's all getting to a point. 
And if you continue on, it says in verse number 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Once again, same person that's talked about in verse 1 and 2. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John goes on to explain kind of the repercussions of ultimately believing in this light. And it has the power to ultimately give life and to overcome darkness and to bring you and make you a child of God. So this is all talking about something that still has not happened yet. But it's talking about this, this light. If we continue to move forward in the story, and we jump over to a different gospel... The Gospel of Luke. Luke gives another perspective that I think is important. If you jump over to Luke in chapter 1, Luke's chapters are crazy long. Chapter 1 in verses 78 and 79. Luke says something really, really cool. Uh, he's quoting ultimately from another Old Testament prophet about another prophecy of something that's coming. And Luke says this, he says, because of, so as a result of, the tender mercy of God. So I think just remembering this first, that everything that is happening in this story, the story of the gospel, the story of this light, is all because of God. And it's because of God's mercy towards us. Not because of anything that we do or anything that we can do. But it's because of God in His mercy. So, because of God in His mercy, whereby the sunrise, it's a very interesting choice of words, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. Once again, there's that phrase. To give light to those who sit in darkness, and he describes it as a sunrise. And that'll make more sense as we just continue to go on. As the sunrise, almost think when I was in Florida and the sun came up, everything changed. I could never see, I could never see Florida the same again. I could never see that highway the same again. Even if it was darker, I can still make out, I still know what I'm looking at. That it was completely and utterly different when the sun comes up. So there's a sunrise and it's going to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Luke is quoting this and he's saying that, okay, because of God's mercy, he's going to send this sunrise. And the sunrise is going to give light to those who sit in darkness so that we can see things in a way that we've never seen them before. And as a result of that, it's going to guide us to a different way of life. It's going to guide our feet into the way of peace, ultimately living in a different way, that it should result in a change in not only how we see the world, but how we act in it. And then we continue on. In the book of Luke, if we go a little bit further, you get to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is really popular. Does anybody know why? Luke chapter 2. Anybody know why? 
Christmas time. Um, growing up, you may have read the beginning of Luke chapter 2 a lot of times. In my house, when I was a kid, we read Luke 2 every Christmas, but we only read the first part, the, the first, the, the Christmassy part, you know? Uh, but if you continue the story of Luke and you continue in chapter 2, a really crazy story happens right after that. Is they take Jesus into the temple. There's this guy in the temple that if you're just looking as an outsider, you may say, this guy might be a little crazy. Uh, you get in Luke chapter 2, and um, I'll leave that there, but I'm going to read maybe a little bit of what's going on before that. In Luke 2, in verse 25, uh, it says, now there was a man uh, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. So there's this guy, he's in Jerusalem, his name is Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for this thing to happen. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So ultimately, God had promised this guy named Simeon, he says, you won't see death, you won't die until you see this promised one that I have promised is going to come. You are going to see him before you die. And we continue the story on. It says in verse 27, it says, He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus... To do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. So first, Simeon comes over and he just picks up Jesus. I don't know how all this played out. But if somebody came in after my child was born and just picked him up and starts just talking. I think I would be, it would be odd to me. And uh, so he picks him up and it says, this is what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This idea of being rescued. That this is God's plan for salvation and being rescued. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. And this is a very key phrase. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. You think of that, that whole sunrise picture that Luke talked about in the previous chapter. He's almost setting the stage for the things that he's writing. This idea of a light for revelation, when you have a revelation, it's when you see things differently in a very dramatic way that you can never unsee. That something has been now revealed to you that you can't unsee. Similar to when uh, a sunrise comes up in a brand new place and you see things now in this crazy new light. And it's, it's a revelation. It may be about Florida, but it was a revelation. Uh, if you want to use that word in that way. And he says, look, there's this light that is, that is now here. And it's going to be for this revelation to the Gentiles. That it's going to allow people to see things in a radically different way that they have never seen them before, but it's not just going to be for Israel. It's not just going to be for Jews, but it's going to be, this represents, it's going to be for everybody. It's going to be for all people. And, and Luke is really setting this whole story up and this whole idea up of this, this coming light, and it's now here. As we go just a bit further in this story, and you can look down through all the miracles and all the things that Jesus did throughout his life. And the things that we've talked about already, the phrases that he said, the miracles that he's done. And then you get to, you get back really to chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, 
There's a reason why this was so significant. As we now, we've looked backwards a little bit so that we can now maybe appreciate a little bit more why this phrase is so significant. That Jesus is coming out and saying, because you got to remember, even in this right here, he's not, this isn't Jesus getting up and saying, hey, I'm a light of revelation to the Gentiles. No, this is, this is another person coming and saying, no, God told me that, that that's, that's Jesus, that's this Messiah, he's going to be this light. But now we have this moment in time where Jesus is coming out and he's telling people, he says, I am the light of the world. The light that has been talked about for a very long time that God had promised and God said it was coming. I am that light. And Jesus does it in such a way that's, that's really, really cool. Something you have to remember back in John 8 is that there's this feast going on. A feast that, I, that, Joe is, that Joe had talked about previous when we talked about other phrases that, that Jesus had said during this time. But there's this feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this Feast of Tabernacles is a time when the, the children of Israel and the Jews, they would have this big, long feast to remember what God had done for them and how he had provided for them during the book of Exodus and during when they were traveling in the wilderness and when manna came from heaven and when, uh, when the rock was struck and water came out. But also during this time, God led them through the wilderness by this this big pillar cloud by day, but then this pillar of fire by night. He led them this way. It provided safety and protection and all of these different things for them in this time. It was a symbol of this. And so during the Feast of the Tabernacle, at the end of the evening, as nighttime would come, they would come out in the temple, in the courts, they would light these four huge torches to represent and to be a reminder of God's provision of being this light for them back in Old Testament times, in the times of Exodus. They would light these four huge torches during this feast to light the courts. And Jesus is out in one of these courts, particularly one where not only people in the inner courts could hear him, but the people in that court could hear him, the women's court, and also Gentiles that were not even really inside of this temple space. Anybody outside of that space, they say, could hear him as well. And Jesus, during this time, at this moment, against the backdrop of this feast and against the backdrop of all of these lights that were to be a reminder of, of God in the Old Testament is his source of provision and protection for them. Against that backdrop, Jesus comes out and it says, and he said again to them, I am the light of the world. And this was radical for the people that were standing there and listening. And this is why, even if you continue on, in, in chapter 8, uh, that when the, the Pharisees went back, the Pharisees went back and they told the other Pharisees about what happened. They said, why didn't you take him and why didn't you take him captive? Why didn't you do something? And they said, it's because what he was saying was so radical and so different that we didn't even really know what to do. And I think a lot of times when we read over that verse 12, we don't carry the full weight of everything that Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I am this one that's been talked about. I am this one that's going to provide the source of light and freedom. I am the one that's going to have victory of this battle with darkness that it can't even compete. Because darkness can't really even compete with, with light. It can't. He says, I'm going to provide sight to the blind. I'm going to free people from prisons. This is why he goes on even in chapter 8 to say that the truth will set you free. 
This is why this was so significant. And he uses this light as a metaphor for a reason. This idea of this light chasing away darkness and winning this battle um, that he even brought up in Luke, in Luke chapter 2. And darkness points to, to a couple of things. It points to the human ignorance side of it. That there were ultimately people, this is why this, this topic of Gentiles comes up over and over and over again. That there used to be a light for the Gentiles. is because Jews ultimately viewed Gentile people, non-Jewish people that were not in this special family, this family of Abraham. They viewed these people as ignorant, like you don't get it, you don't understand. So for, for Jews, they would view Gentiles as being in the dark. They're in the darkness. But it doesn't just hold that it holds, pe- holds two people that are even willfully blind, like Jewish people in that time. that said, I choose not to believe. You can look at some of the Pharisees that said, man, I choose not to believe that, that he is the light. You can see that in even the, the end of John chapter 1 that we read, where it says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But what does this light do? So we know that throughout this story that Jesus is this light to come and to provide this way that we can have a relationship with God through him, that he came to be this mediator, to be this final sacrifice, to be this light that's going to have victory over darkness and provide us a way to have a relationship with God as we believe in him by faith. That was kind of laid out in chapter 1. But what does it do? With this light, but what does it do? The book of Acts, um, chapter 26. Um, There's a guy named Paul. And if you've watched on Sunday mornings at all uh, during the the 9 o'clock hour, Joe and I talk about, we, we talked about Titus, and now we're talking about Galatians. Both are books that Paul wrote. And we've talked a lot about Paul. Uh, youth group, we've talked a lot about Paul. And Paul has a crazy story, one that is evident of a radical transformation that happened in his life or a revelation of seeing things in a new way that cannot be unseen. And he lays that out in chapter 26 of Acts. Acts 26 um, in verses... uh, I'll start in verse 12, and then we'll kind of we'll come down to verse 18. But he says, in this connection, he says, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those that journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of the things in which you have seen me and... to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And then we get to verse 18. He says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. 
and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus meets Paul on this road to show him something that he had never seen this way. Paul was a religious person on his way to persecute uh, other Christians because Paul didn't fully understand. He didn't fully see it this way. He was still in the dark. And Jesus says to him, he says, I'm, I, now that you see this, I want to send you to the Gentiles, and I want you to open their eyes. And I want you to help them see things in a way that they have never seen them before, to turn them from darkness to light, so that they can find and receive this forgiveness of their sins, that they can ultimately find by faith in me. Faith in Jesus, that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he did. That he was truly God in the flesh, and he came and lived a perfect life to come and to die and be a sacrifice for you. That ultimately, because of your belief by faith in him, you are now sanctified, which basically means that you are set, up, set apart and you are made right before God. That you can have this relationship with God through him. That's what it does. That is what the gospel does. That is what this light does. It changes people. In a way, the rules, religion, family, and governments never could. If you look at the life of Paul, Paul was a religious person, born in the right family, in the right place. He was actually a dual citizen. But none of that changed him. He followed all the rules. That did not bring change. I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. Rules don't change people. If rules changed people, then we wouldn't need prisons. Rules don't change people. The gospel is ultimately, it's for all. And it has the power to change all. That there's no person that cannot be changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And Paul is a perfect example of that. That is ultimately what the gospel does. And that is what this light does. That really embodies this whole idea of the gospel. But you may ask, you may ask, okay, so if the gospel and if this light is so powerful and it's so wonderful and it has the power to change everybody and it has the power to ultimately transform the way that we live our lives, as, as we talked about a few verses ago where he says that you should, as a result of seeing this light, you should walk out in a different way, a way of peace. If it has all this power, then why do we still sit in a world with churches that are empty and broken homes and broken relationships and broken systems and broken people and hurt and bad? Why is the world still the way that it is if the gospel is so powerful? And that's where we come to you and me. That's where we come to us. Because Jesus finishes his statement in verse number 12. You go back to chapter, I know we're going all over the place, but I wanted to make sure that, that the point is clear. This is where you get back to verse number 12 in chapter 8. Jesus finishes his statement, and he says, so he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, which carries a ton of weight, that hopefully we have a small fraction of understanding of what he was really talking about. He says, whosoever follows me, will not walk in darkness. Okay, we know this. So whoever follows Jesus by faith, believes he is who he says he is, by faith and trusts in him, will not walk in darkness. They've been changed. 
but will have the light of life. It says that they will experience the light, that they will see the light. That's not what it says. It says they will have the light. They will have the light of life. You see, he says that we ultimately, as we follow Jesus, and as we see this light, we have this revelation in a way that we can never see things the same again. That we don't just experience the light, we don't just see the light, but we have the light. And there's a responsibility that comes with that. If you don't believe me, we'll go and we'll look at another verse, another one that I would almost call another stained glass verse that carries a lot of weight, but we don't always see it, is in Matthew, another, one of the other Gospels that paints it from another direction. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says this. He says, he starts it off, he says, you, he says, you, this is Jesus talking, he says, you are the light of the world. Jesus almost, he takes it a step further. He says that you not only have the light, but you are the light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. You can look at the very next verse. He continues, he says, in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Ultimately, the things that have been produced in you by the Spirit and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, as a result of us seeing the light and understanding that we now not only have the light, we are the light in a very dark world. And with that comes a responsibility Ultimately, it is your job to shine and proclaim the light through you. I'm trying to see if I wrote that right. It's your job to shine and proclaim that light. I probably should put a comma. (laughs) Through your everyday life. That it is your job. That as you have the light and you say, yes, I follow Jesus. Yes, I get it. Okay, that means, that means you not only have experienced the light, you've had this revelation, you understand who Jesus is, but that you now as a result of that have the light, and now that you have the light, you are the light. And you have a responsibility that comes with that, and it's your job to shine and proclaim. I use this word proclaim because oftentimes in the Bible, and if you've been in our Titus study, you know where I'm going. Oftentimes in the Bible, you see this word to preach. A lot of times when we see that word, and it talks about how the gospel is going to go forth by the preaching and all of this, all these other verses that go with that. Oftentimes when you see that word, you can also take that as proclaim. And oftentimes we see preach and we say, oh, well, that's, that's the pastor's job. That's, that's his job. But the reality is, is our lives are all proclaiming something. Whether or not it's the gospel and it's the truth is another story. But it's our job to proclaim that light through our everyday life. Not just here on Sunday, inside of these four walls, but our everyday life as we live. That, that's where the difference lies. And that is our responsibility. There's one more verse. Um, In Titus. Uh, do I have it on here? I do have it on here. In Titus, chapter 1. If you were in the Titus study, you probably know what I'm going to say. Titus, chapter 1, and verse 16. He says this, because herein comes, comes the problem. 
Titus, uh, Paul says this to Titus. He says, he's talking about false teachers. He says, they profess to know God. They claim to know God. They say, yes, I know him. Yes, I follow him. They profess to know God, but they deny him. Not by their lips, but by their works. They say, yes, I follow Jesus, and they walk out the door and do something completely different. Somebody said this, and I think this sums it up quite well. They said, I know it's kind of small, they said the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that is the sad reality. When faced with truth as people that follow Jesus, that is the sad reality. That more often than not, we are guilty of this. So what do we do? What do we do as a church and as a, a community of people that say that we follow Jesus? What do we do? We walk out a life that reflects the fact that we have seen the light. And that we have not only seen the light, but we know the light. That we have the light and that we ultimately are the light. And that's something we must remember because of that we must live different. As people that say that we follow Jesus, we must live different. We must have a different set of values. We must see the world in a different way. And not just inside these four walls, but as we walk out and as we live our life. We must live different. We must ultimately live a life that says, my life is about loving God. My life is about loving people. My life is about making disciples. That's not just, it's just, just a phrase that, that is said around here because it sounds cool. But there's a phrase deeply rooted in what it means to be somebody that follows Jesus, a Christ follower. And that is what our lives should look like. But the sad reality is, is that is not always what our lives look like. And if we truly want to make an impact in our community, in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our world, and in our country, that impact and that transformation and that change that I think many of us want to see lies within the responsibility of us and the way that we live our lives. The values that we place on how different areas in which we live our life. That is what it's about. And as the worship team comes, I'm going to pray and we are going to we're sing a song. My challenge to you is while this song is played, that you take some time of reflection. As every single person that says they follow Jesus should take some time of reflection. You can look at the life of Peter, somebody that followed so closely to Jesus. He still had mistakes. He still had to take some time to say, okay, maybe I didn't do things quite right here. And we need to have some time of reflection and say, man, am I living the life of somebody that follows Jesus? Am I living the life of somebody that says, I am the light? I have the light, and it's my responsibility to live differently in a world full of darkness. Are we living that way?